didn't know if working from home would work, but we've had phenomenal performance. Um, people have just been extraordinary. And so I think it's given us an insight into what's possible, but equally it's given us another glimpse into what we need to manage and control because um, we can't have people just working all the hours that, is, that have been invented. Kia ora, I'm Troy, here as CEO, and welcome to Stirring the Pot. Thanks for connecting. If you're new, here's what you can expect. We're going to be talking the tough stuff, the things that keep us metalheads up at night. There are many challenges facing our industry and equally many opinions on how we should tackle them. Stirring the Pot provides a facilitated forum to discuss and challenge these viewpoints. So let's get to the nuts and bolts of it. Today, our conversation is with Jane Canelli. Jane is the founder and current business director of recruiting powerhouse Frog Recruitment and founder and trustee of the Fantail Network. For 30 years, Jane has been helping organizations unlock the potential of their greatest assets, their people, working with leaders on how to not only leverage their people to improve their bottom line, but add significant values to their communities at the same time. Jane has been instrumental in skilling and tooling organizations up on how to pivot quickly to remote dispersed workforces over the COVID-19 lockdown period and has picked up some fascinating insights along the way. So Jane, in your opinion, how did New Zealand fear, I guess, making that overnight transition to uh, remote and dispersed working as a result of uh, the COVID-19 lockdown? Well, Greg, two words come to mind straight away. One is brave and one is positive. You know, it was really clear at the beginning, 92% of our work environments ended up having to move home. And what that meant was that very quickly people needed to be agile, they needed to move, they needed to set up. Probably one of the things that didn't happen early on was thinking through what that might look like for some individuals. And I recall talking to um, an individual in Tauranga who said that she'd had to bring in the barbecue table to set her laptop, laptop up on it. So that wasn't absolutely ideal as far as resourcing is concerned. But what a, what a move. I mean, people ended up at home working and home became the office, the gym, our bakery, um, our school. Uh, it, it was extraordinary. So talk about an amazing effort on behalf of um, Kiwi employers. It was just uh, employees really took the bait and they were fantastic. And so, so I mean, it, it sounds like overwhelmingly it was, um, it was a, a, a pretty much a success. People obviously had a, a few shakes at the start, but they, I guess they, they responded to the necessity and they kind of just got stuck in. Yep, they sure did, actually. Um, and if anything, you know, they uh, exerted themselves um, possibly without performing what they used to do in the office. So it's been very common to hear employers talk about their employees and say, God, you know, I didn't know if working from home would work, but we've had phenomenal performance. Um, people have just been extraordinary. And so I think it's given us an insight into what's possible, but equally it's given us another glimpse into what we need to manage and control because um, we can't have people just working all the hours that, is, that have been invented. So there's some regulation, you know, we've swung out, we swung out sideways, we've embraced the new environment, now we need to kind of stage it back at work again, but it's opened up a whole field of possibilities. It's it's interesting that you uh, you referenced um, you know hours and the hours that have been worked as as one of those sort of uh, flags that popped up, 
Were there were there any other challenges or anything that you kind of observed in in your purview of uh, of sort of the workforce? Any other challenges that pe people kind of encountered in the process of um, making such a rapid transition to being dispersed? Yeah, there's a couple of things. I mean, the key one, um, two things actually. One, um, in recently polling many, uh, I think it was 1,300 employers and employees, and one of the things that came out was a concern about returning back to work. Um, wow. Because as much as moving to the bubble, moving to our homes was quite a significant change, once people settled down, they really quite enjoyed it. They weren't in the traffic. You know, my commute to work was 33 paces. Um, <laughs> I could shortcut that by sleeping on the couch, I guess. Um, uh, I wasn't having to deal with a whole range of the complexities that happen in getting to work and working at work. Um, so that simplicity that came through was actually wonderful. And, um, and as a result of that, productivity definitely increased. Meetings were more effective. Um, time was well spent. You know, some really strong positive signals came out as a result of that. But on the flip side... Um, this thing called burnout has become really evident. So we spoke with 900 people um, and 64% talked about the fact that they were experiencing increased levels of burnout. They were, they'd started out gung-ho, they'd started out rapidly um, doing as much as they could to help their employer. There was that risk of losing jobs. Um, there was that whole notion that will this business survive? You know, so there was a lot happening. Um, and so people worked hard, and then the burnout factors started to creep in, which is that anxiousness, um, sleep patterns changing, eating habits being disrupted, um, family life imposing on work life, work life imposing on family life, the struggle to actually find the boundaries, the blurring that happened in amongst it, um, things like um, sending emails at 8 o'clock at night, you know, where your manager might have sent you one and so you respond as the kids are in the bath. You know, that type of behaviour, which is not sustainable. So burnout's been quite crucial in this as well. So there's been really strong pros, but really strong areas where um, there's responsibility by employers and employees to get these things right. In, in t I guess in terms of the driver behind that burnout, obviously, you know, you identified the uh, the fear of losing your job as being obviously a, a fairly significant driver, and that kind of, I guess, that kind of touches briefly on some of that that research around the theory of motivation, what motivates people, you know, the fear of what might happen if 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 I don't do anything, or yeah. versus the consequence of it. But I mean, I guess, is there was it a, was it a collective responsibility, or did you find, or did you kind of observe anything that kind of maybe you've put it on? You know, was it employees assuming the need to to do that, and and maybe working out of um, some false assumptions, or do you think it was uh, the employers, um, you know, pushing for that kind of that kind of culture to emerge? You know, I, I guess I'm interested to, to see, it's a very broad question, but is, is I, I guess I'm trying to understand whether there is a, a resolution. You know, what, what is the antidote to that? Look, it is complex, actually. It, it would be foolish to suggest that there was a linear or a, a simple response, but I think a, a combination of things were happening, which was that, you know, the Kiwi ingenuity of digging in and giving it our all and, and doing the very key DIY, making my home my office. I mean, that was uh, very clear. And as a result of that, um, Zoom meetings, technology actually with 
with humans hand in hand has been a real winner in this um, as well. Um, but there is there is several things that have come out that the employer needs to look at, uh, and I think one of those is to really deeply listen to their employees and understand exactly how they're feeling. And this is more than just a once over lightning now. We've all been through. We've, it's like we've all been to the same conference. We've all heard the same key messages, and now it's time to actually act on some of those. And um, so, deeply listening, making sure that if you're doing a a, a check on um, your employees and how they're feeling and thinking, making sure you ask the right questions um, because those questions are the ones that will give you the insights that you really need to help plan the pathway forward. And there's great opportunities here, but it does start with really listening well. Uh, it includes job design, making sure that um, people took on a lot more than just their role function over COVID. Um, so what it's shown though is that maybe some roles can be redesigned. Um, and as a result of that, uh, to make sure that boundaries are in place so that the roles that people are actually working in don't force them to extend well and beyond a normal standard or working day. Um, there's an opportunity here to really address the flexibility issue. You know, there are a number of people that actually don't want to go back to the office, so what do you do about that? I mean, that's quite tricky. Um, can their role be performed at home? Is there a hybrid that would actually work really well and give everyone the best um, of both worlds, and but also allow businesses to thrive in this new environment. Um, there is a responsibility by employees also not to just give, give, give. I mean, they do need to actually, it's a two-way street. You've got to ask questions, but you've got to give answers. And so if people are not um, viewing their concerns, um, that, is, that is also causing problems because that's where the employee suddenly goes out sideways. They, they end up overexerting themselves and no one's kind of pulling them back. But they do need to be a little bit self-regulating as well and, and to, to voice their concerns. So, um, so dialogue and transparency is really important here. And equally, I think uh, leadership is crucial, Greg. You know, people have got to walk the talk. There is no point sending emails to people at 8 o'clock at night, actually. If you are also saying, please don't respond to my emails at eight o'clock at night, like there's yeah. a, a double edged sword there. Yeah. yeah. And um, so I think if organisations can embrace uh, respect around people's private time, their non work time, um, and, but make sure that they themselves are respecting their own, um, we will end up with really great dialogue happening between employers and employees that will see everyone doing the right thing. I'm going to put you on the spot. Um, because that's going to be fun. <laughs> Great. <laughs> you, you, you know, you mentioned asking the right questions. And I, I guess I'm, I'm interested to know just as a, I guess as a practical takeaway, if you were, if you were in a, you know, it might be an impossible question to ask, but if you were to say, um, here's three key questions every, every organisation should be asking of their employees in this coming back to work, returning to level one, employee engagement survey you know, in inverted commas, what would they be? And then I guess the follow-up question would be, um, as an employee, um, you know, what would be three things that I should be thinking about in terms of being able to open up those communication and dialogue channels with my employer? Well, the way I'd respond to that, actually, Greg, is just thinking about some of the conversations I've had with employers and, and candidates, really, talent recently. And so the themes that come through is, one, have people got the right resourcing? So what resourcing do you require? What's, what support do you require to actually be able to do your job well? 
So that's a really crucial one because we've shown that technology is an enabler. So if you haven't got those tech tools at your disposal, it is quite important to flesh that one out. I think the second one is really around how people are feeling, and that is how are you feeling right now? How did you feel during COVID? What were some of the concerns that became apparent for you? What do you think are some of the solutions that we could put in place to help you? Um, what keeps you awake at night time? What are you worrying about? Um, when it, and it actually is in relation to work and home to a certain extent. And some organisations offer EAP solutions and places where people can talk to professionals. Um, but what it does lead to is what support do you need now? What training and development would be helpful? Um, are there any significant changes to the design of your job that you think would be really useful for both you, but also for the company to be more efficient? So they're quite, they're good questions, They are, but they are more than just the one question, how are you? Yeah. But it's just digging a bit deeper and actually getting to the essence of how someone's feeling, knowing, I mean, internationally, it's been reported that people are feeling anxious, they're feeling depressed, and they're almost exhibiting uh, symptoms of post-traumatic stress syndrome. So if that's happening, we need to get on top of that pretty quickly and just help people modify their behaviour and find solutions for them. So um, uh, I think over the COVID time, a number of organisations did things to really help people through uh, through the difficult times. There were there was I mean there was information for. I mean, it was just so much information to take on board. But we saw that really lovely, impactful little programs that were video-based, that were very easy to access with things around uh, resilience and turbulent times. Um, how to manage distractions in a time like this. I mean, it's all very well saying I'm working from home, but so are my kids. They're all at the same table. Yep. You know, it was quite tricky. Yep. So um, some really good um, training and ongoing training and things like that. Critical skills for managing... Um, tough decisions, um, critical skills for managing tough times, are they the sorts of things that were really popular? And I think that as we, we're not through it yet, we've got more to come. I mean, um, we know that globally and we know that as a country. Um, we read about it every day. And every day at one o'clock we heard the news, you know. We became a uh, nation of information junkies and um, we are really keen to have good news around how to cope and strategize over the next period of time. So the platform's in place, actually. Uh, it's phenomenal, really, what has been achieved. The platform's there. It's just up to organizations now to really think about how best to help their employees because ultimately it becomes a virtuous circle. Mm. And that's what we're aiming for. We yeah. are trying to avoid the vicious cycle of same old, same old, back to what we had. Even the notion someone said to me recently, even the word back <laughs> just doesn't quite resonate, doesn't it? We want to actually strategize. So we want to stage our back to work. We want to put really good plans in place and we want to plan for the future. So we can make those things happen. We'll be away laughing as a nation and as businesses. It's, it's exciting thinking about, I guess, yeah, this, this process being about building a new foundation. And I think yeah, it's, it's exciting having these conversations about challenging you know, senior leaders and business owners to really think about, um, you know, not not adjusting the, the the paintings on the wall and kind of putting a lick of paint on things, but really, really thinking about, well, you know, what is it that I do? What is the problems that I solve as a business? How do the people in my business solve those problems? And how can I 
not only uh, build financial capital but human capital as well. So it's um yeah, it's cool and it's so exciting to hear that. Um, one of the things we don't do well enough necessarily as a country is celebrate success. Um, and so I guess I'm interested to know, as a counter to that, in your travels, did you come across any success stories of organisations that are doing or have done this this really well? I guess from the perspective that we might be able to be um, inspired by those stories. Yeah, I did actually. Um, and one organisation springs to mind and um, they are uh, associated with your particular area of the market um, by way of um, apprenticeships and, you know, uh, making sure that people are lining up to learn about your sorts of jobs and a field and career. Anyway, um, but the CEO there, what he he made it his business to call every single individual in his company, uh, of which I think it's about 358. So across the... Approximately. Across, yep. Uh, approximately, of his company, yes, across the country. Um, and then he set up HR to also follow that through on a weekly basis. Um, he sent out video updates um, several times a week uh, just to actually keep people up to speed about what was happening because he knew that their levels of um, insecurity were going to be rising. Um, and they had some other stuff happening as well. You know, the, um, there's been huge reviews and so on and so forth. So so there were, it was just sort of combating people making up stories because there was no information going in. Um, you know, letting their brains work unsupervised, which isn't necessarily a great thing in times of great stress. It's better to be really consistent. And even if you haven't got much to say, keep the information flowing. So that was one. Um, they recognised that um, people were working at home with uh, children. So they ran a um, colouring competition one week. There was a, a quiz around different places in New Zealand you could visit. There were just things happening that would also occupy the children in some of their home environments. Now, not everyone needed that, but a lot of families were all working together over this. So uh, I thought they, and they were definitely celebrating successes on the way through because they were still hiring over that time. Um, we actually placed an individual with them uh, we, uh, over the time and they started in lockdown. And um, so in making contact with this new employer, said, you know, what was the experience like? And they said it was phenomenal. Their team rang them. Their buddy was in place. The wow. onboarding was smooth. Um, they only met people online and in conversations, but they did everything they could to make that person feel welcome. And now I've heard the contrary to that as well. Mm. I haven't met anyone. No, you know, no one. No one's rung up. Um, not quite, but but pretty well. But uh, and it was and so it, thoughtful. Yeah, was, and it, I, I think that's really important that we hear those stories as well because it's really easy in those times where we go well, that you know that was a once-off, so we kind of let ourselves off the hook if, if it hasn't gone quite as as well as it should have. But I guess it's it's encouraging and challenging in the same breath to hear that. Um, that's possible. It's possible to do that stuff well. It's possible to not have any of those um, those safety nets that we often call upon at, at arm's length in normal day to day within the office. It's possible to actually continue to power through and and to 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 not only um, survive but thrive. And I, I, I guess I love that sort of that dichotomy. It's it's not we've got the option. We can either survive and sort of hunker down and just try and get through it. Which again, you know. There's a whole lot of uh, factors at play that will dictate, you know, where you are on that spectrum. But to to hear stories of um, organisations thriving in such a challenging situation is is great. Look, I think you know, just to add to that too, what it does is it builds a number. Because you you might say, well, why? Why go to all that length? 
Well, it builds, a, it builds an environment of trust. And one thing that's come out of this is that we need to be able to trust the people that we work with. We trust them to make good decisions on behalf of us as an, when we're an employee. So I think the trust factor, I mean, kindness has come through for sure, but you know, that trust is absolutely vital and it needs to be worked on every single day inside our businesses. Um, and what happens when you've got good trust is that you actually can make change. And I think you and I were talking earlier this morning about um, people's propensity for change. You know, some are into it and others are hesitant around what's going on. But if you're really fostering trust, you will be able to um, actually move mountains um, and build big structures. I mean, it's a, it's a really important thing. Um, the media were really interested recently about the notion of unlimited sick leave. You know, it's, it's a very, uh, it's a benefit that's offered in some environments and, and not offered in many. And, um, but the thing about offering unlimited sick leave is that you have to have an environment of trust. The foundation's got to be there first. And if it is, you can actually provide benefits to people that you would possibly be able to provide before this happened. So um, it's been a very telling time, actually. And that doesn't mean to say that if you haven't been embracing these, if you haven't been thinking this deeply about your people, um, that doesn't mean to say you can't stop. You know, there's no reason to stop or not start. Mm. Um, I think the big fear right now isn't just necessarily getting on the bandwagon, but it's actually if you don't, you could get left behind. And it does lead to that quite big conversation around talent and having the very best people in your environment, hiring the best. I mean, we found over lockdown, 64% of the companies that we talked to, which out of 1,300, uh, were talent banking over lockdown. And what that meant is that they're identifying hot potatoes. They were making sure that they knew who they were, and they were bringing them into communities around certain skill sets, so that when they needed to communicate with them, they were ready to go just like that. Like, that's that's forward thinking, that's clever, and now's the time, actually, I know that we're going to have huge unemployment, and we will, but equally, we are going to have some extraordinary talent that's available to our employers, people at Kira, that would never have been necessarily been able to tap into them had this not happened. So there's a chance to really think right into the future and start right now. I'm, there's, there's just so much to kind of unpack within that little bit there, but I'm, I'm interested, um, what, what do you say to the employer that has tried trust or at least thinks they've tried trust with their employees and has been burned as a result. You know, obviously that's on some level as, as an inevitable. What do you say to the employer or that, that senior manager? Um, you know, we're saying that high trust, it's, it's, it's got to be that way, as, you know, in these dispersed workforces. Moving forward, we've got to be able to, to, to bolster it and trust it as something that's given, not necessarily earned. Um, what do you say to those people that are, are once bitten, twice shy, and, and they're, they're in those, those key positions of fostering trust and culture within their organisations? Is there, yeah, do you have anything to say to them? Well, you know, it's probably more personal opinion coming out now, Greg, but, um, but you know, analysing what went wrong the first time or what has gone wrong in the past is a good place to start. Um, and equally, you know, there are some experts out there in the market that can help support you with this. Like if I think, I was thinking about it today prior to talking with you about the, the role of human resources in all of this. And, and really, um, for those organisations that, that have a human resources function, you need to be looking to them to really provide strategic advice and strategic pathways. So if it, they are just about compliance and ticking the boxes, 
then you're missing out on a really great opportunity to have a very interesting conversation about how to build trust in the organisation. And trust starts, it starts at the top. It needs to be modelled by the leaders in the organisation. And, it, and it's all about respect and it's all about confidentiality and it's about transparency of information. And there's more to it than that. But I think that, that if you are able to acknowledge right from the start that this is actually an environment we want to start building, um, then the steps are there. And I think the first part is acknowledging it. Absolutely. The second thing is to spot the areas which are deficient as far as gaps are concerned. And, um, and then the third thing is to really put plans in place to help build it. And Rome wasn't built in a day. However, COVID has given organisations an opportunity. I mean, if I think about companies that say to me, oh, God, you know, we wish we could change the culture. And they look to the L&D people and they've got a three-year plan out into the future that they were going to put in place to slowly turn the organisation around to for example, one of high trust, they can actually do that in the next few months. Mm. That's the reality that we're facing at the moment, and it's a good reality. Yeah, it's a, as a uncomfortable but exciting. Yeah. In, in the same breath. That's, yeah, that's cool. And, I, again, I think that that's the challenge is, is that, yeah, how do you yeah, how do you rise to that challenge of being able to offer trust in spite of uh, failure and also, I guess, re Re-examining the the perception of failure within our organisations is that opportunity to reevaluate, to grow, and to, to go again, and, and you know understanding risk reward paradigms and all of those sorts of things is, is fascinating. Um, yeah, Greg, can I just jump in? You know, yeah. if I think about the number of people I've had conversations around employer branding with over the last few years, and this sort of veil of it's a load of old rubbish sort of sometimes sometimes starts to kind of filter through the conversation. I mean, they are the sorts of things that are actually really important. Now, what does your brand stand for? Who are you? How much do you value your people? Or is it actually really just sales that are important? You know, because people can read between the lines. So if, if, if we all make some sort of um, commitment to improving some of these situations, I think we'll find that absenteeism goes down, uh, sickness um, hopefully goes down, um, doesn't appear ever again, um, that people are actually really happy to have um, roles transformed to take on more, and I don't mean to work longer, but to take on more, change their roles, um, move out of their comfort zone and, and try new things, um, try new technology, not be the naysayer, not to criticise. You know, so many positive things come out of this. But it just it takes that one step at a time. And, and, um, and it's worth the adventure, it really is. But employer branding, I mean, I can't tell you how many times Candidates will say to me, oh, we'll say, what about a role at this company? And they'll go, mm, look, I've heard about them. Yeah. Um, and then actually, you know, some of my friends have had friends that work there, and th it's a bit toxic. I mean, who wants to have their environment described as toxic? So employer branding is really important. Reputationally, it's important. Um, and it's not unusual, and I'll throw a little curly one in here, it's not unusual for candidates prior to this, and they will continue to ask, well, what do they do in the community? And if the answer is nothing, you know, it, it, it's a very hard conversation to have. I mean, we're working with an organisation in the automotive industry at the moment, and we said to them, why would someone want to come and work at your organisation? And they went, look, quite frankly, um, you know, it's a family environment, uh, it's a good job. Um, if they want to go and watch their kids... Uh, show at school, you know, their performance, they could do that. But 
other than that, there's nothing much else going on. Well, that's probably a very honest and true and good place to work, but it's very hard to turn someone on to that opportunity. So Mm. these are the things that I think are popping up out of this that employers should absolutely seriously take on board, and that's how we start to build trust. That's fascinating. It's, um, I guess, there's, again, so much in that that we can kind of extrapolate out, but I think the one thing that's become apparent is uh, that, you know, We've realised through this COVID situation and kind of where we're at in terms of 2020 as a whole that um, simply trying to maximise one's bottom line is no longer enough. Um, That's not going to retain the talent that we need to be able to, uh, in fact, do that. Um, But there's a whole lot of other things at play. I mean, one thing that we haven't even begun to to scratch the surface on is um, candidate um, transferability to peripheral um, and sometimes not even peripheral uh, industries and sectors. So the fluidity between, uh, for instance, heavy engineering in the middle sector uh, with the advent of things like uh, recognition of prior learning within the tertiary sector, I think now more than ever we've got this opportunity to to have people retrain and reskill at speed. Um, and so, again, that emphasis goes firmly back on the employer to be able to go, well, why, other than our good job, are you are you you know appealing to candidates to stay? Exactly. Hey, there's a couple of things there too. The number one thing people are looking for is security. So, because everyone's a bit anxious at the moment, so that's natural. But what's your view, Greg, on the changing in learning? So, once upon a time, it was block courses, and you know, and 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 has it really transferred right into the heart of the workplace? where training is actually the best place to have happen? And is there a new model that's come out of in the last few years around the way people get trained and developed? Oh, I, th- I think we're right on the cusp of it. I, I, the conversations that we've had, um, there's obviously um, a lot of the review of vocational education that's taking, taking place amongst other things. And I think uh, finally we have some agreement between industry and tertiary around what that begins to need beginning to need to look like and I guess that's our role as as here is to be able to signal to our members that that conversation is happening and the opportunity is to get in at the ground floor and be a part of it uh, to realize that you can become that employer that um, can not only attract new talent uh, new reskilled talent quickly by way of um, you know revised apprenticeship programs I mean I'm you know fascinated to see I think it was uh, don't quote me on this, but it was a, a polytech down south. Um, no, it was uh, pretty sure it was Victoria University was offering um, a degree apprenticeship for the first time. Um, you know, and so we're seeing this idea of uh, level seven education and above becoming a reality within the workplace. And for an, uh, for a, a sector like heavy engineering, that's perfect because not only does the re- revision of say how the apprenticeship system work. Um, suit us down to the ground in terms of uh, new fabricators, uh, new people um, in the workshops actually, you know, building, making um, the things that our organisations are often pumping out. Um, but at the, on the flip side, you know, the consultants, those that are working in, um, you know, the design rooms, all of those sorts of things, they're able to be catered to as well, um, but in a similar sort of template. So those organisations that offer um, that sort of, uh, you know, 
uh, office to workshop sort of experience can begin to look at um, building their their retention strategies around that that new style of learning and engagement, which is which is phenomenal. You've hit the nail on the head, I think, because imagine how you would feel joining an organisation that has got your best interests at heart and are going to develop you in a way that will see you actually probably stay with them for some time, but but you'll grow as a person that will have impacts on your personal life and your professional life. And like it's, as you say, it's a, we're on the cusp mm. and it's ready to go. So let's hope we will make the most of it. <laughs> well, I, I think, and again, this is the purpose of things like this podcast is to be able to say to people, hey, by the way, did you know, have you heard? Um, and I think, you know, to be able to be that catalyst for, for thought and get people thinking about, well, what might be possible? And I, I, again, I think, you know, uh, you know, my next question is is in and around this idea of how COVID has um, positively shaped this opportunity for people to engage with things like the Living Standards Framework from the from the government's perspective. And I think we've already touched on it in terms of um, it seems to me like there is a much more holistic uh, perspective of the value that's being brought. So we're being challenged as business owners and leaders to go, well, okay, yeah, we've got to keep the lights on. Um, and we need to be able to deliver a return to the shareholders. But in order to do that, we need people. And in order to have the people, the mums on seats, the, you know, the people in the in the workshop doing the thing that we do, we need to really understand why they're going to be there for us in the first place. And and so from there, the sort of the onion builds out around well, what is value? How do we how do we deliver value to our community? Yes, there's financial and economic value, but you know there is this living standard frameworks, and how do we develop? How do we deliver value to the community as a whole? Um, I'm not really sure where the question in there that is. Well, I think what comes out of that is you know we talk about uh, if I think about the GFC, um, having been through a number in my sort of 32 years in recruitment, um, having been through a number of ups and downs and crashes and burns. Um, if I think about the GFC, you know, the one thing that wasn't there at that stage was a health issue. This has been about health. And so um, I think what comes out of it as far as um, what you're talking about is a healthy um, respect for work and healthy workers. And health isn't just about our physical being, but it's about our environment. It's about what we're paid. Uh, it's about our job design. It's about our skill development. Um, and it's, but it is about our mental well-being, and and that to me is the biggie over the next period of time. We've all had such a big fright, and um, to ignore that I think would be to miss an opportunity to really make sure that you're embracing uh, the living standards framework, because uh, it's a significant part, and it really flows into the social well-being and the fabric of our society. And imagine actually making sure that we support that well. I mean, it's a pretty lofty goal, and it's a really exciting one, I think. And I, I guess I think it, it delivers a little bit of a blueprint for businesses because obviously I, I guess it must be incredibly overwhelming going, well, I've existed, my business has run for the past 20, 30, 40 years and the, 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 the calculation or the equation is being, you know, make as much as I can with as nominal overheads as I can and then sell that, you know, sell that to market X and then deliver some of that material value back to the employees and I'll take the rest home. And that's kind of, that's been the equation. And I think um, obviously COVID has kind of thrown up this idea that that's no longer the equation, that can't be the equation because it's just not going to sustain um, another pandemic, another whatever comes our way next. 
But what the living standards framework does is offers us some insight as to how to rejig that equation. Where how do we how do we look at bringing those elements in to modify that equation or change that equation so our business operates uh, in a successful way mm. with all of those those elements that now have need to be kind of brought into the mix. And um, yeah, I guess it's that idea that it's it, it, it has come from that nice to have or that sort of that lovely lofty goal that the the government kind of put out there to it's now front and center and well how do how do I do this well if I if I engage with the framework I can begin to get a sense of well how do I how do I de deliver value to my community how do I you know how do I take that holistic view so it's yeah it's exciting it's exciting it sure is I mean I I recall talking to I think it was 750 employees across the country on a particular exercise uh, with the ice house at one stage and um and my, the part that I had to play was to bring to the bench um, the latest trends in hiring and recruitment and talent. And, and what I discovered as I went around um, the country doing this is that whilst people kind of say, people are my biggest asset, um, actually in reality, that wasn't being modelled inside businesses. The most important things were other things, the things you've talked about. Um, but what this has done is it has put people right at the heart of the solution because we are going to be, I mean, technology is great, but it needs that human intervention to make it work. And so, um, but the, the um, opportunity that sits with us is around efficiency, taking on board people's ideas, changing work behaviours, um, and actually realising that people are right at the centre of making this business hum. And so if I want to sell my business, at some point in the future, because it might not be as soon as I'd like to, um, in order to make sure it's in the best shape possible, I need to rely on my people to do the best job possible. So it is, again, it's that virtuous circle as opposed to the vicious cycle that I think was happening uh, potentially beforehand. Mm, interesting. Right. We're coming coming to the end of things. A couple, couple of uh, final questions for you. Um, You've obviously got this uh, incredible purview of quite a broad uh, range of industries and, and you've, you, you, you've been fortunate enough to be in a position where you get to have your head crown with a kind of a, a, a bunch of different things happening around the place. Is there anything uh, just in and around the adoption of the living standards framework and kind of responding to COVID and reshaping our, our businesses with these new foundations do you get a sense of any particular challenges that are, uh, I guess, more pertinent to the manufacturing or metals and heavy engineering industry than others that we should be aware of? Some things that um, you know we we may have seen within our own environments, but may not have necessarily picked up on. Look, I think um, we've actually touched on several of them. One, I think, is the training, learning, development framework that needs to be inside organisations, and. You know, I don't, I don't speak as an expert on your particular sector, but in looking at this, there is definitely an opportunity to rethink how that's happening. And, um, and you talked about sort of the cross-pollination of jobs and skills and roles and, and, and environments, um, which broadly, it, it, the sector is an extraordinary one and there's so much happening. So um, I think the thing would be uh, to, to really use this organisation to force change and to force innovation. I mean... I love what you're doing here at the moment um, with your innovation um, project underway and, the, in fact, the work that you do. I mean, this is extraordinary for an, a membership organisation to have this facility. And so part of, I think, what I would be doing in your sector is to call on you to help help me 
really embrace some of those things. Um, it, definitely it's around the sharing of technologies and what's working well and what isn't. Um, it is about putting pressure on our learning institutions to actually fit in with us, new, so that we can actually develop our people in a way that isn't going to cut across our business streams, but will... And, and I know that literacy programs are underway and I know that there's all sorts of things that happen, but, but can they be happening faster and more often? Can we accelerate the rate of change without distracting people, but taking us all along on the same tide? And I think that really is appropriate for this particular environment and your sector. Um, I think that we need to really make sure we're prioritising the workload. I mean, during COVID, we saw organisations who went from, I don't know, producing a particular product or a range of things to suddenly making hand sanitizer mm -hmm. and, and, you know, and PEP gear. I mean, that was phenomenal. Surely that is, for, for you, an extraordinary insight into what can be achieved in innovation and creativity. And that's the piece, I think. If we don't embrace that, if, if your members don't, they will be missing a beat and they could get left along, you know, back in the backwater. So... Um, I guess it could be, that sounded very general, it could be the same for most sectors, but but I am incredibly impressed around this and what you've achieved, and I, I, I'm going to put the pressure on you now, I think that you can really help members to push through this, so long as your members are not tone deaf, and the biggest issue right now is people who are tone deaf to what's actually possible, mm. um, I'm craving to go back, that, that isn't going to help, yeah. you know, um, Tone deaf has been my my phrase I've used often over the last few months because it's a, it's a it's not a good state of mind to not listen or see what's going on. So I would be talking to you a hundred percent. I appreciate that uh, that uh, little plug. Hopefully my phone will start ringing as soon as they've uh, they've started uh, listening to the podcast. Yeah, good, it should. All right, just to wrap up then, I guess what I'm interested in is is we've I guess we've gone on a bit of a journey today. We've gone on this. Uh, this look into what has happened and, and sort of taking a very 30,000-foot view of a, of, a, of a number of different things. I, I want to turn the spotlight back on you specifically and say, um, you know, I'm fascinated to understand what's piquing your interest specifically around um, how organisations are engaging with human capital and this, this kind of response to COVID and kind of what's next. Because obviously we've had a bit of a... Uh, a look at um, the specifics of the the industry that we're in and some other success stories. But what you know, what's I guess what's keeping you up at night? What's exciting you about what's coming next? Well, look, I think uh, there's probably several answers to this question. So, from an industry perspective, I can see that the models that I've known for thirty odd years uh, there's a potential for change, and they should change. Um, uh, our view of people and talent is. Um, has, been, has come under scrutiny uh, in a good way. So um, I think, you know, for me, I, I would like to think of myself as an innovator in the industry. And um, so I find this one of the most exciting times I've, I think I've ever experienced. So bring it on, I say. Um, but I think it's the acceleration of change and it is genuinely seeing organisations embrace this. Like if I can, uh, I don't, you know, the conversations I've had over recent months have shown that, there isn't there is an interest in change, and I don't just mean change. I mean transformation inside organisations to improve them and ultimately make the bottom line better for shareholder return, etc. Like that's that will happen, um, and it's just people being bold and courageous and actually using this as a time. Get facilitators in, have those roundtable discussions. 
Force yourself to think about possibilities. Come up with the crazy idea. Hire mavericks. Have people like Greek in your organisation that, that push the boundaries. I mean, it's not a safe zone anymore. It's not to say you're going to throw the baby out with the bathwater and let, take the plug out at the same time. But, um, but what it is saying is that there is an opportunity for change. Where's your research and development? What are you doing? And these are the sorts of things that if I, you know, for me, I think they are the opportunity that exists for many businesses. Some businesses won't survive. We, we do know that. Um, but out of change comes new direction. And um, we can already see new skill sets emerging. Uh, we can see new types of jobs appearing on the horizon. Um, we can see them because, of course, we're looking for them. Um, it would be great that uh, employers also started looking and just considering what their futures might be like. Um, so I think it's really exciting. It's quite daunting. Um, I'll give you one example. You know, I, with COVID, we uh, we had to help stand up down in Wellington. We have an Auckland company. We work virtually. We have done for years. That's been a difficult conversation to have with people. But now I think they understand. <laughs> like, why wouldn't we work virtually? We all do. Um, but we needed to put together uh, and support uh, 80 people into their contact centre. They all had to have medical degree. You know, there was a whole lot of sort of some criteria. It was urgent. It was in the first two weeks of COVID. And the other thing that we were asked to do was help stand up. If the virus went to a community spread, um, there was, they thought they would require a 1,000 people across the country to work remotely with medical backgrounds to help manage the contact tracing. This was all around contract tracing. So we took it upon ourselves to get our first 350 ready. We had 150 in the, in the background. It was all done in a week. Um, it was all helped with technology. The people we interacted with were phenomenal. They really wanted to, uh, it was paid, it wasn't voluntary, of course, it was paid work. But what it showed is that we've got this workforce across the country that we're not tapping into. And if we've got a problem with healthcare delivery, well, we can solve that problem, actually, because we've got people in Timaru that can do tele-based and video-based health diagnosis. So why wouldn't we? So when I start, you can probably tell by my voice and the speed, um, these are the sorts of possibilities I think have absolutely revolutionised the way we're thinking. I mean, why are we proprietary around our engineers? Why can't we kind of share some of the work that's happening in our councils? I mean, they'll probably throw their hands up in horror, but, but really, I mean, our councils are under duress and we've all got projects and they all require this particular skill set and they need structures and, and how, why can't that be a more shared approach to what is actually a country of five million, a team of five million, but we're not huge. We can actually manage some really cross-boundary solutions now that were never available before. So there you go. Thanks for joining our conversation with Jane Canelli today. If you'd like to connect more with Jane, her details are in the show notes. This was such a timely and challenging and exciting conversation today. And it reminds me of Martin Luther King's quote, if you can't fly, then run. If you can't run, then walk. If you can't walk, then crawl. But whatever you do, keep moving forward. Hey team, Greg Buckley, Innovation and Transformation Architect at HERA, 
here if you have enjoyed what Jane has had to say today and you would like to be able to find uh, I guess a community of support to be able to start making some of the changes and building on the foundations that you've seen emerge from COVID-19 we'd really encourage you to get involved with Kotahitanga Kotahitanga is our people and HR innovation cluster we have a number of things happening uh, from uh, content online to opportunities to collaborate and engage together uh, there's a whole lot happening um, that is an awesome place for you to be able to start that journey and conversely we also have Putatara which is a studio offering which allows you and your organization to start thinking and delivering content that positions your business as a place that people will want to come and work if you would like information on either of those things please get in contact with me Greg Buckley, greg.buckley at hera.org.nz and we'll get you connected in with all the information that you need. 